Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Laura. And I trust that is true in your life, that you do love Jesus, desiring to be sensitive to him and <clears throat> responsive to him. Before we interact with God's word, just a brief comment. You may have got a call on our granddaughter, Olivia. They went to Yale. There was a hole in her heart. I don't remember the technical term. And she, they'll wait three months or until she's 13 pounds and then they'll do surgery. And according to what I understand it, it is correctable. No, with surgery. So continue to pray for Chris and Jess and their new little granddaughter. As we interact with God's word this morning, let's take a moment in silence and you share with the Lord your desire to be open and sensitive to scripture. <clears throat> Father, we're really grateful that you have given us Scripture. You've given us your Spirit to live within us, and then Christ, who is our life. Again, Father, we want to be attentive in hearing and doing. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. been taking a few weeks to address a number of items. <clears throat> Three weeks ago, we looked at what is manhood. Two weeks ago, we looked at what is womanhood. Last week, we talked about the glory of God. This morning, we want to seek to answer the question, what is biblical fatherhood? And a thought question, when is a father free? When is a father free? When is a father a father? When is a father a father? And to challenge our thinking, JT asked me beforehand if he could come up here. So if you would come right now, JT. I'm going to give him a challenge of a basketball here. You may not touch the basketball at all. I would like you to take these blocks and build some type of house on the basketball. <clears throat> Pardon? Can I open the blocks? Nope, you may not open the blocks. Got to use them the way they are. I said a house, not a tower. Okay, JT, we'll let you go. I think you're trying the impossible. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as we interact with God's word. Can you build a block house on a ball? What is a father? When is a father free? When does a father become a father? And please understand that manhood, womanhood, our foundation of fatherhood and motherhood. Being a godly man, being a godly woman is foundational to being a godly father and a godly mother. We're going to look at a passage from Ephesians chapter 6, and then we'll also be looking at a verse from Colossians chapter 3. 
But in Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be looking at verse 4. And while you're turning there, keep in mind the context of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 deals with the vertical relationship with God, you know, the individual relating to God. It talks about being in Christ. Over and over in Christ is mentioned. And it's also mentioned that Christ is our life. He's the source of our life. It also talks about our calling, that is, our heavenly calling. That's Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 deal with horizontal relationships, you know, with the body of Christ, with marriage, in parenting, with children, the job. It also talks about walking or living worthy of our being in Christ. Our life in Christ in Ephesians 1, 1 2, and 3 lived out in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. It talks about living your heavenly calling in daily life. And it also talks about the order of living. One depends upon another. That is, the body of Christ is essential if we're going to have godly marriages. Godly marriages are essential if we're going to relate well as parents and children. That's essential if we're going to do well in the job and then also battle with the enemy. Ephesians 6 and verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. A negative aspect first, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, if you go over to Colossians chapter 3, we'll also be touching on this verse. Colossians 1 and 2 deals with our vertical relationship with Christ. Colossians 1 and 2 deals with the sufficiency in Christ. Deals with the fact that life, our source of life is in Christ. Colossians 3 and 4 deal with horizontal relationships. The body of Christ, marriage, parents, children, job, and the world of unbelievers. It also deals with setting our heart on things above. You know, setting our hearts on things above where Christ is and where our life is hidden with Christ. It also talks about the order of living. The body of Christ, marriage, parents, children, job, and unbelievers. Now notice in Colossians chapter 3, he says in verse 21, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Directed to fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, do not exasperate your children. Whether it be embittering children or exasperating children, both terms are in the present tense, which means as a pattern of life, fathers are not to exasperate their children. They're not to embitter their children. Well, you say, what in the world does it mean to exasperate? Exasperate means to irritate. To provoke to anger, to rouse to wrath. And Paul says in Ephesians 6, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't irritate them. Don't provoke them. Don't rouse them to wrath. An example of how that might be done that I did at times, the kids would say, Dad, can we do? 
I say, let me think about it. Later on, Dad, can we? Well, let me think about it. Well, Dad, can we? Let me think about it. What was I doing? I was exasperating them. But I keep putting them off. Another example of how a father might exasperate children is that he is going to correct them, whatever form of correction he uses, for not doing a job, but he never told them to do it. Why are you punishing me? Why are you disciplining me? You never told me to do this. Well, you were supposed to do it. You were just supposed to know it. You can exasperate, irritate, provoke to anger, rouse to wrath. He says don't embitter. In Colossians 3, embitter means to stir, to excite or stimulate. You know, don't embitter them. So my father says, Dan, you didn't do today what you're supposed to. And I'll say I was eight years old at the time. He said, because of that, I'm going to bend you over my knee and you're going to get the paddle. And he gets done disciplining me and I, in one of my rare bold moments, I say, Dad, I'm really mad at you. And Dad says, why are you mad at me? Because you asked me to do today what I couldn't do. You asked me to do a week's work in eight hours. I couldn't do it. But yet you're disciplining me. What's he doing? He's embittering. He would have been embittering, asking the impossible. And caution says, don't embitter, because when you embitter, you discourage. A child becomes broken in spirit. What's the use? Why try? I can't. And they just don't have a desire to go on. They become despondent. They become disheartened. Another example. No matter what I do, dad finds fault. I've lived with dad for 15 years now, and dad has never told me one thing that I did well. I guess I'm a failure, I blew it, I'm no good. Can't do anything right. What are they? They're broken in spirit. Dad has embittered them. So they become discouraged, broken, despondent, and disheartened. So a son is going to walk down the aisle. He's going to say to his bride, his beautiful girl that he's married, I, I do. And as he is walking down the aisle, these thoughts go through his mind. I'll never make it. I'll never make it as a husband. I'll never make it. And the reason I won't make it is because dad told me over and over again, I was a jerk and I would never make it in life. I'll prove him wrong. There's a child that is broken. When I say child, I should say an adult that is broken in spirit, despondent and disheartened by dad. Paul goes back to Ephesians, or going back to Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Paul says, do not exasperate your children. 
Instead, how do you keep from exasperating a child? Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I want to look at a diagram here to illustrate what it means to bring up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And notice that I'm going to be using a old-time scales, if you want to use it, use that term. You know, you put something in one side, then you put something in another side, you know, and try to equal it out. You put your weight on this side, now you're going to get a pound of bread, or not a pound of bread, a pound of sugar. No, you put something on the other side. Your weight is on this side, you put something on the other side. Now, who's operating this thing is dad. Dad's operating this. He says, fathers, do not embitter your children, but bring them up in the what? Training. You train them. And he says, also bring them up in the instruction. You train and you instruct. He says, don't embitter, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, what does it mean to train? By the way, before we go to that, keep in mind we have two things here, train and instruct. Both are important. Both are vital. But what does it mean to train? What does it mean to train? The idea of training involves educating or teaching concerning all of life. You know, just practical teaching in all of life. Teaching, training, how to live. So dad says, Dan, it's time, you know, you're getting married, you're going to have your own job and so on. And he says, I've been teaching you for 18 years what it means to be a man. You're to be responsible. You're not to be passive. Along with some other things. Son, you can do it. I've been encouraging you. I've given you responsibility. You've had a lot of responsibility for the last six or eight years because you're a man. I've taught you how to be a man. I've told you how to be a husband. I've shown you how to be a husband. I've took script, or taken scripture and taught you. I've modeled that for you. And I've taught you how to handle failure. When you fail, you're, you buckle up like a man. You admit when you're wrong. You seek God. You admit to God you're wrong. You admit to your family when you're wrong. And you seek forgiveness. I've taught you to be a man. I've taught you how to handle money. I've just educated you. I've taught you how to live. Also involved in the idea of Training is correction. Correction is when sin and disobedience are confronted. Sin and disobedience are confronted. So on the lighter side, when my brothers and I wanted to see how long chickens would live under the water, and we ended up drowning some, and Dad said, boys and went on to confront that, that was part of the process of training us. The word in Greek involves a physical correction which involves pain, not merely words, 
or time out, but physical pain. Now, please understand that he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. He's talking about children. And for a father to take a 15-year-old and say, I'm going to physically correct you, is not where Paul is coming from. A 15-year-old in Bible times would have been treated as an adult. We're talking about children younger who are being corrected for their well-being. And please understand that physical correction is not in anger. Bar, you got you and I'm going to get you. You're going to embitter your child if you do that. Physical correction is done in the power of the Spirit where you say to a child, here's what you did wrong. I'm a man under authority. I'm under God's authority. I'm responsible for training you. I'm in, responsible for instructing you. You're a child under my authority. And to help you learn to obey, I'm going to physically correct you. You may cry all you want, but I'm still going to correct you because Proverbs says that I'm not to give in because you cry. I'm not angry. I'm concerned about guiding you to learn obedience. You explain the sin, the disobedience of the child. You physically correct them. You get done correcting them. You again go over what they did wrong, how they violated Scripture. You put your arms around them. You hug them. You care for them and say, you know, Dad really cares for you. And I corrected you for your well-being so that when you're 12 years old, you're not in trouble. See, education, the teaching part, but also the correction. And please again understand that if we're looking at this from a biblical perspective, that when a person or a guy or a gal was 13, they were already moved into adulthood. We're dealing with correcting and teaching younger children. Now, our culture today, I realize, you know, we have teenagers and so on, and be another time maybe talk about them, but perhaps more with teens would be the warning which will follow. Please understand that education comes before correction. Just teaching how to live comes before correction. So dad would say, Dan, go out and take care of the chickens. I say, dad, I don't know what to do. Ah, I need to train you. Come on, Dan, I'll show you how to do it. That's education. But that precedes correction for disobedience. <clears throat> guidance in educating or training. God's word is foundational. God's word. Take God's word. So you're out in public with your son or daughter and you walk into a place of business and there's a lady coming behind you and you open the door for the lady 
And your son says, Dad, why in the world did you do that? Because I'm a man. And she's a woman. You're to treat them with honor and respect. That's why I opened the door for your mother. What have you just done? You've just taught your son by example and with words. Using God's word. Here's what God says about manhood. Here's what God says about womanhood. It's living, or living Christ is the enablement. Christ is our life. Now, dads, fathers, if you're honest with me, you've gotten angry at your kids already. They've just done something. You know, you're just ready to rip them apart. Maybe some of you have at times. And you've embittered. God, I'm ready to... And the Spirit of God says, no. You think, you know, Christ is my life. The living Christ is at work in me. God, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm ready to respond incorrectly. I'm ready to yell. But that's not a correct response. So, God, if I can't depend on you, I can't definitely deal with my child correctly. So mentally, they're stepping back, saying, Christ is my life. And you get to the point, hopefully quickly, where you can reason with your child calmly, coolly. If I, in anger, discipline a child, if I, in anger, respond to a child, I'm teaching them to be angry. If I can't depend on the Spirit of God and Christ is my life and how I respond to my child, how can I expect my child to depend upon Christ and the Spirit in their response to me? I need to model that. Verbal teaching is involved guidance for daily living. You take a 15-year-old and dad says, son, uh, you got $100 for Christmas, and what did you do with it? You blew it. Because you blew it, you're not getting any more money from mom and dad for the next four years. But you never taught them how to handle money. The teaching comes before your response. Verbal teaching on how to live. We're talking about all of life. We're talking about developing wisdom or skill, applying scripture, and just modeling it. I don't think dad would, if he does care, he's not around to respond to me since he's in glory. I can remember so very clearly, and I've mentioned this before, when my mom wrecked the 56 Chevy Impala that we had. It was a blue one. She pulled out in Richfield. I can take you to the very spot. There was a car parked right in the corner. She had to get out pretty far, and someone came and hit her. I can remember, you know, getting home, and I know where Dad was standing, and I know where Mom was standing in the old kitchen. It's changed. And I can remember Dad's response to Mom. And I can remember Mom's response. And you assume that it probably wasn't as good as it should have been for me to remember so vividly, and it wasn't. 
dad taught me a lot that day. If I want to have a hurting wife, just verbalize some things to her. Left a deep impact on me because he was teaching one thing, but at that point in time, he modeled the other, and many times he modeled in a good way. But that was one that wasn't modeled well. I don't know if dad and mom ever got that corrected or not. But what if dad would have responded that way, and the next day or two days later, he said, come on, kids. Come on, mom. Come on, Orpha. We got to talk. And he said, I want you to understand, a week ago when the wreck took place, that I wasn't very nice to my wife, to your mother. I was wrong. I responded incorrectly. And he said, Orpha, will you forgive me? And mom said, sure, Dad, I'll forgive you. And he said, boys, Orv, Bob, Dan, Ron, I'm not including Bonnie because of her age and when this would have happened. Will you forgive me for the way I treated your mother? We say, sure, Dad, don't worry about it. Oh, the power of example of what you do when you respond incorrectly. That's part of the teaching and the training that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6 and verse 4. So you go down the road a year later, and I didn't respond well to my mother, and dad was present. Dad could say, Dan, you were very, very disrespectful to your mother. You got to deal with that. Remember, Dan, when I didn't respond well to your mother, my wife, and I admitted it? Follow my example. That's teaching scripture by example, but also verbalizing. That is teaching how to live or how to walk in the Spirit. Some guidance and correction. <clears throat> we won't look up all these <clears throat> verses. I will read some of them. But what is the reason for correcting a child? What is the reason for correcting a child? Just listen as I read from Proverbs 3 and verse 12. Proverbs 3 and verse 12. I thought something looked wrong there. I'm in Psalms and not Proverbs. Proverbs 3 and verse 12. Well, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Those times when my dad said, Dan, here's how you disobeyed. Here's how you dishonored God, and I'm going to physically correct you. And he, in grace and in love, got out the paddle, and I was physically corrected. Not in anger, not abuse. drove me to realize that dad loved me. 
I respect my father highly. Because I know he loved me. And how do I know he loved me? Because he corrected me. Proverbs 22 and verse 15. Just listen as I read Proverbs 22 and verse 15. Proverbs 22 and verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. I won't enumerate in some of the foolish things that I did when I was a young kid. I'm not talking a teenager. That's a different story, but a kid. A lot of that get driven out with discipline, correction. Proverbs 23 and verse 13 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Have we stopped to consider that some of what we're facing in America today is due to children not being lovingly, wisely corrected when they were children. So folly was not driven out. Proverbs 19 and verse 18 talks about the fact that we should not let the crying of a child keep us from correcting them. Now I want to make something very, very clear. Very clear. Fathers are to train their children, which involves instruction, instruction, education, but also correction, which involves physical pain in light of Scripture. In no way, shape, or form am I talking about beating a child or hitting a child incorrectly and so on. I'm talking about a child who has disobeyed, who has been taught and has willfully been disobedient, where a father will take that child, hold them in their arms, set them on their lap, lovingly explain that I am a man under authority, you are a child under authority, I love you, I care for you, and because of what Scripture says, I'm to bring you up in the training of the Lord, I'm going to cause some physical pain to you. And as a child's spirit is broken... Dad is done correcting, takes a child, sets them on their laps again, lap again, puts the arms around them, and says, I love you and I care for you. And the crying child says, Daddy, I know. I sinned against God and I sinned against you. Will you pray for me that I might learn obedience? You pray with the child, and the child hops down and goes their way, having learned. I'm talking children now, children, not teenagers. And Scripture would imply that as we seek to do that when they're young, as they move into 8, 9, 10, and so on, that the need for that would decrease. Wrap it up here in just a couple minutes. He also says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Training, or instruction rather, is putting into the mind. Putting into the mind, it's a warning. Especially as children get older, they need to be 
or have God's word put into their mind, a putting into child's mind God's expectations in relation to their thinking, beliefs, and actions. So here I am, a 16-year-old. I just got my license, and I say, Dad, can I use the car tonight? Where are you going, son? Well, two or three of my friends are going to go, and here's where we're going. Dan, you know that Scripture talks about friends. You know, friends will make you or break you. I just want to warn you, Dan, that two of the guys you're going with tonight have gotten into a fair amount of trouble. And they might get you into trouble just by your being with them. I'm instructing you, Dan. You may have the car and you may go, but I'm warning you. Okay, Dad. Dad walks off. And I think, you know, this guy that just told me this really loves me and really cares for me. Years ago, when I was a little tot, he would correct me physically. And overall, he has a pattern of trying to walk with God. And he thinks some of these guys that I'm going to go with tonight might not be good for me. Well, since I promised them, and he told me that I should be faithful to my promises, since I promised them we were going to do this, we'll do it. I'm going to be very, very careful. So I go do my thing, come home, and uh, say, Dad, I just want you to know I went, stayed out of trouble. They didn't give me any hassle. If they did, I would have let them know the way it was. So two weeks later, these two guys call me and say, Hey, Dan, let's do something. Dad, your dad will give you the car, right? No, guys... I don't think I want to do anything. Dad would give me the car, but I don't think it'd be wise, you know, for me to do something with you. It just wouldn't be good. Well, why not? Because my dad loves me. What do you mean your dad loves you? Is he gonna, are you going to get in trouble if you go out with us? No, my dad loves me. What do you mean your dad loves you? Well, when I was a little top, my dad corrected me. He taught me to obey him. He taught me to respect him and to honor him and my mother. And I honor and I respect my mother. And they've taught me scripture. And to be honest, my father warned me that you guys might get me in trouble. And I respect him more than the friendship that we have. So, no, that's the reason. Do you think your dad would let us come to your house and do something at your place? <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be good. Come on over tonight. Dad will welcome you. Mom will welcome you. We'll have a good time. Because those two guys didn't have a father who loved them. So when they came across a kid who had a loving father, oh, can I get in on that? Because dad was willing to warn, sharing what God says and the results of continued action.
there is no perfect father. There is no father who always responds correctly. Numerous times I had to go to my children and say, kids, dad was wrong. Go to Ruth Ann and say, honey, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? There's no guarantee that no matter how we parent, father a child, that everything's going to be hunky-dory, they always stay out of trouble. There's no guarantee of that because children do have their own will. But Scripture would say, don't embitter your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, don't exasperate your children. When you embitter, you tend to discourage I'm fearful if we're not careful. What we try to do is to neglect fatherhood. But we want to do a host of things for kids, whether it be in Christian circles or elsewhere. We're trying to do all these things to reach kids and have an impact upon them. And we just keep doing and we think, and it doesn't seem to have a lot of impact because the very core is neglected. Christianity can do a lot for kids and for teenagers, and I'm not opposed to anything that is being done. But if fatherhood is neglected, we're trying the impossible. And I'm sure Chip could give you example after example, and I'm sure some of you who teach could give examples of children who are embittered, they're discouraged because there's no dad. That is teaching and instructing as we discussed from Scripture this morning. Going to close... Some of you sitting here this morning, and I'm speaking to you men now, have already raised your children. You've raised them, and they're gone. Gone in the sense that they're married, they're not in your home. And you may listen this morning, and you may say, you know, I blew it here, I blew it there, I blew it here. Or I did this good, and I did that good, or whatever the case may be. But if you're in the blowing it category, will you admit that you blew it and go to your son or daughter as an adult son or daughter and say, I'm sorry, I blew it. Will you forgive me? So that you can say to a younger man, don't do what I did. If you're an older guy here and you've raised your children and overall you've trained and you have instructed and you have warned and so on, and overall as a pattern you attempted to be on track, Praise God, but invest your life in some younger men that might not have a father who is modeling for them how to teach and how to train. If you're a younger guy and you're currently raising your children or you see children coming in the near future, say, God, help me to be a godly man, a godly father. He'll honor that. Go to an older man and say, help me. Just say, I want to get my life in the correct direction.
And for those of you who are younger, you're in your teen years or early 20s and you're still single, and you hope to get married someday and you hope to have children someday, will you say, God, I'm so grateful I got at least a little input. I'll forget a lot of it. But I'm grateful that I got some input on how it, I should be a father, what it means to be a father. I want to latch on to my own father and learn from him. Or I want to latch on to a couple older men and learn from them and how to walk with God and how to be a godly father. Without any music, and I don't always do this, I'm just going to ask if you're a man or a boy and God has challenged your heart and you have a sensitive heart and you have responded. Just saying, God, I want to respond. Whatever your age, I would invite you just to stand and pause until I say be seated. And this is not an issue of spirituality. You may choose not to stand. There's no reflection in you, but you're just willing to publicly say, God has challenged my heart, and I want to publicly share that. Just ask you to stand and pause for a moment. If you're a man, a boy, a teen, and so on, just remain standing for a few moments, please. <clears throat> Again, no obligation or anything else to stand. Just, it's not a test of anything. Thank you, guys. I'm an older man now. My children are raised. Men, boys, let's be men who are seeking to walk with God. Be a man who walks with God, a father who is walking with God because you're influencing the generations to come. Let's pray together.